This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. If you're looking for a better way to manage your debt, there's five debt management resources that BC consumers can access for free. And Blair has said this a number of times, knowing is not owing. Uh, each year, thousands of people across the province get professional debt help solutions from licensed insolvency trustees, which, of course, that's what Blair is. And there's, what, about a 1,000 in the country. Is that still correct, Blair? That's about right, yep. So the thing is, you guys talk to people every day about all the different options to help them manage their debts. And you've talked before that there are solutions that people can take on their own to better manage their debts. Let's talk about those. And what's the first free resource that you think we should know about? I'm really excited for today's segment, Elaine, because I love the idea of a free resource. And uh, what I want to do today is to explain, you know, these are all pretty simple stuff. They're not going to cost you anything. And again, as we've talked a number of times, I believe there's, you know, there's some objectives in the financial um, financial system to make things seem more complicated than they are, and they're really not. It's relatively straightforward. And the five things I'm going to talk to you about today, they're all very straightforward. And I think people will say, oh, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. I wonder why no one else told me about them before. So I hope people do get some value out of what we're going to say today. So the number one thing here is to check your credit history or your credit report. This is something you can do absolutely free, um, but it's not going to be you know, the easiest way to find this. If you go, there's two credit bureaus in Canada. There's Equifax and there's TransUnion. If you go on their website, you know, you'll see all these offers for getting, you know, credit score monitoring on a monthly basis, you know, pay $24.95 to get your credit report instantly online. Um, but it's always been the case. You can get your long form credit report, you know, the one that runs for 10 plus pages, depending on how many accounts you have open. You can get that for free once a year just by asking for it just by sending in a specified request form and they will mail you a long form copy of your credit report. So to access that form, if you go to my website, which is sans-trustee.com and down at the bottom of the homepage, you'll see a button for client resources. We've got a link to each of the forms for Equifax and TransUnion. And if you just send it away, you send a couple copies of your ID, you tell them your address. Within about a week or two, you'll get your long form credit report and it's Almost every time when I pulled my credit report, I found at least one or two accounts that maybe weren't reporting accurately. I found addresses that I didn't live at. I found employers I haven't had before. And it makes a lot of sense because, you know, 30 plus million Canadians, a lot of data points on each Canadian, it's possible for things to get filed under the wrong person. And if it's something that's delinquent, you know, showing that you've missed payments where you could when you haven't, um, you know, you might only find out about that when you're trying to apply for a mortgage or apply for a car loan. And when you tell the person, well, that has nothing to do with me, I'll say, well, you better, better go get that corrected. But nothing is instant with credit bureaus. It can take weeks or months to get something corrected. And that might put the deal that you're trying to get done for a house or a car in jeopardy. 
property. So it's really important people access their credit report. I generally recommend about once a year. Uh, what's happened recently as well is both Equifax and TransUnion during the time of the COVID-19 pandemic, they're actually giving free online access. So it's even easier than ever before. Again, you have to navigate a bit on the website, keep clicking away from where they're trying to charge you money. But uh, TransUnion is calling it a consumer disclosure report. I'm not sure the terminology Equifax is using, but they both said publicly they're now giving free online access to credit reports. So I encourage all lenders, uh, sorry, all individuals to go and check uh, your credit reports um, as quickly as you can and just to see if there are any inaccuracies there to correct. Okay. And so you advise people minimum once a year to do that? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, great. So the next step, um, and this is going to take some explaining for sure, is the statute of limitations. And is this something that anyone or everyone should pay attention to? Or is it just if you've been in debt for a long time? Or what's the best way to approach it? Well, I think we'll start off by defining it first and saying who should pay attention to it. Um, so what happens is in a statute of limitations, you know, for many, many things in life, uh, if something happens to you and you decide, you know, I'm not going to make a big deal about it for now, but, you know, maybe in the future I'm going to say going to make, make a big stink about it, uh, there could be a period of time where you run out of time, you know, to essentially to make a claim against somebody because they've wronged you. What this right. means when it comes to debt is, uh, say I've borrowed money from you, Elaine, and I don't pay you. You know, we, we said I was going to pay you every month and I stopped paying you. You can't come back 10 years later and say, hey, Blair, you know, you were supposed to make payments. 10 years have gone by and you haven't made payments. I want all the money now. Uh -huh. What the law says is you've got two years from the date when I was supposed to make a payment to when you have to bring a court action against me for payments. And if two years go by and you haven't brought that court action, you lose the right to ever bring that court action. So where it can make sense is if someone is, you know, maybe 70, 80 years old, they're not too concerned about their credit rating and they owe money to a bank that they're just not going to be able to pay off, you know, given that their pension income and nothing is going to be additional to that. You know, they could decide to file a bankruptcy or file a proposal or they could just decide to say, well, I'm not able to pay this bank. You know, if the bank really wants to take me to court at that point, I might hire a trustee and do a bankruptcy or a proposal, but I might just wait this out for two years. And if the bank decides not to sue me, then I'm going to know for the rest of my life, the bank can never sue me on this debt. I just can stop worrying about it. So what did it cost me to you know, basically get out from under that debt? Nothing other than waiting two years from the date of the last payment. So there's a lot of intricacies to this. You know, if it's a government debt, there is no statute of limitations. If you've already been sued for the debt, there is no statute of limitations. Uh, but in many, many cases, if you've just got one consumer debt, maybe it's been hanging around for a long time, it's well beyond two years since you last made a payment, you can sleep soundly knowing that you could never be compelled or forced to pay that debt if a court action was brought against you. Uh, in, in this situation, it sounds like you're the person who, uh, who I'd want to talk to first before thinking about taking this kind of action or not taking this kind of action. Absolutely. I would say reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee because, you know, this is not the low risk way to go. It's not the low stress way to go in many cases, but it can be the right way to go if you just really can't afford to make payments. And it can be great peace of mind to know it's not going to be the rest of your life. You have to be worried. It's literally two years from the date of your last payment. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea. What about those uh, collection calls that we often hear about and, and get, even if we don't owe anybody anything? I mean, my mm -hmm. gosh, the number of phone calls I get on a regular basis, whether it be at my home line or my cell phone, it's crazy, uh, you know, people telling me I owe the money. But I mean, let's say I did. And what about those collection calls? Is there anything we can do about that? 
Well, absolutely. You know, creditors have the right to call you. You have the right to hang up the phone. So there's no point would you ever be compelled to have to speak to anybody about your debt. But that's obviously not a very comfortable thing to be doing, to hang, be hanging up in people's faces. Um, you know, for anybody who hasn't had the pleasure of having a collection call, um, you know, I had a debt a few years ago uh, with a rental car company. Um, the insurance company was paying them out within a few months, uh, but they also assigned it to a collection agent. And I could not explain to this collection agent, I couldn't get two words out before they were down my throat telling me I was a very bad person and I was a right. legal professional so you know I knew not to be intimidated by this and I knew you know, everything's going to get resolved so you can imagine somebody who doesn't have the same background as a licensed insolvency trustee when they hear somebody speaking in a very formal tone who's talking down to them who requires that you address them as Mr. So-and-so but they'll use your first name and throw it out no matter what um, it can be a very unpleasant situation to find yourself in the For province sure. of BC has some of the best consumer protection legislation in Canada and they've put out a letter called the request for communication in writing only and that is exactly as it sounds when you send that to a creditor it is a legally binding requirement that they no longer call you that they send you letters instead and you can imagine the threats the tone the innuendos what they might try to say over the phone if they have to write that down they know that could end up on the front page of the Vancouver Sun the next day (laughs) something that's really you know beyond the pale so they're gonna be very careful about that So all all you need to do is send that letter. Uh, It's a letter you can find from Consumer Protection BC, or as with many useful things, you'll find on the SANS-Trustee website. Again, go to the homepage, click on Client Resources, and you'll find that letter. You just fill it in who is the collector. Now, it's important that you keep a record of when you've sent this and to who, because you can imagine they're going to say, we didn't get this letter. And then you say, well, I mailed it to you on this date. I've got a return mail. Uh, You know, I did registered mail, so I've got a receipt for it. Um, And then after you've documented a few times, you'll find the calls are going to stop completely or you'll complain to Consumer Protection BC and they'll get involved with fines or even re- removing collector's licenses. So it's a real thing with some teeth. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, what's the fourth resort, uh, resource that you want to tell someone about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one I've headlined as consolidate without borrowing. So most of the time, if people are in debt, they try to consolidate. They approach their bank and they say, you know, if I'm paying 19% on all my debts, I'd rather, you know, pay a whole lot less than that through a consolidation loan, maybe pay 10 or 11 or 12%, which sounds great. But a lot of the time, people have difficulty qualifying for a consolidation loan because you have to have either really great income or a lot of assets you can pledge to the bank. And most of the time, if you have those things, you might not need to consolidate or you might not be in debt. The way a consumer proposal works is it costs you nothing beyond what you can afford to repay as a consolidated amount. So it puts all of your debt together and it does one better than a consolidation loan and that it reduces the debts down to what you can afford and it saves you all the interest as well. So where it's free is that whatever you can afford to pay back on the debts, if you owe 30000 you can afford to pay back 10000 That's all that you pay back and the trustee gets paid out of that amount that you can afford to offer. So there's no cost above and beyond the amount you can afford to pay to settle your debts. Okay. Um, there's the thing that I want I wanted to ask too about this is that we we talk a lot about licensed insolvency trustees and and how they work. How do you get paid for your service? Because it is a business, even though you're federally regulated, you've got to pay the bills. So how do you get yep. paid for me when I come to you? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Elaine. When I you know, tell people, say at a cocktail party, I'm a trustee, and people say, well, how do you get paid if people have no money? Well, at the end of the day, if you're going to do a bankruptcy, for example, if you're low income, you pay $200 a month for nine months, the majority of that goes to the trustee to cover the cost of administration. If you're paying more than $1,800, the majority of it goes to your creditors, and the trustee gets a portion of it for costs of administration. Uh, okay. If you're doing a consumer proposal, if you're paying back $300 a month, for example, the trustee will get a portion of that, I think about 50 or 60 dollars and that on that basis um, on a monthly basis uh, basically as their fee so the trustee gets a portion of what you're paying back either in a bankruptcy or a proposal but it's never a separate bill it's never something um, that's you know can be scaled up or down based on time it's all set by a government tariff excellent okay and in the last minute or so i really want you to talk about getting that free debt advice from a licensed insolvency trustee and how that works and why why it can work so well for folks yeah so if you take nothing else away from this segment, just realize there are professionals out there that are committed to helping you understand all of your options, and they do this for free. So at Sands & Associates, we have 19 offices. We help people all across the province, and it's no cost, no obligation. We'll sit down with you. We'll be over the phone or on Zoom or whatever, explain to you all of your options, explain to you what you can do. If that solution doesn't include us, that's totally fine. You'll never get a bill for our services. We just want to help you move forward. It's such a great, such a great service too. Um, uh, you're there if if I need you to to take some action and to start a process, or just for good information. And if you're not quite at that place yet where you want to make a call and sit down to somebody, uh, talk to somebody, which I totally suggest you do because they're just really good people. Everybody that we've had on the show has been so easy to talk to and and such good communicators check out their website at sands-trustee.com just so much good information on there good questions very thorough answers to covering all kinds of topics to do with debt and how to give you a, to give you a hand up uh, the 1-800 number if you'd like it is 1-800-661-3030 to get the free consultation or to find an office near you so being a small business owner anytime uh, has lots of challenges for sure. And often small business people end up in some kind of debt, sometimes serious, sometimes not so serious. But the cool thing about this segment is that we're going to talk about business debt basics, common mistakes to avoid when you're dealing with a business debt, as well as getting some good information, getting good debt help for small business. And in British Columbia, virtually anyone can become self-employed. And there's tons and tons of people who are self-employed. And there's really no handbook explaining how to get the financial ins and outs of it. Uh, and that's why we're talking to Blair Manton, uh, who spends a lot of time, I'm sure, right, Blair, that you're talking to business owners who are struggling with business debts and 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 didn't know possibly some pieces or liabilities that they should have known either before they got started or as they start to wind things down. Oh, absolutely, Elaine. So, you know, being a small business owner can be some of the most rewarding times of your working life. It can also be some of the most difficult times of your working life. And to, to what you've alluded to here, Elaine, uh, the challenge is nobody sits you down and gives you, you know, the talk, the rules of the road, here's all the pitfalls. You can just start up tomorrow. Anybody can start up various structures, and we'll talk about what those are. And the government doesn't care if you don't know what you're supposed to do. Um, so, for example, I, I meet with people quite often. They might have been in business for two or three years, didn't know they were 
supposed to charge GST. And what happened is the government has assessed them 5% of everything that they've sold as if they had collected it. Government doesn't Mm -hmm. care whether you collected it or not. If you were supposed to collect it, it's now your liability. So there's a bunch of potential minefields that if you take the right uh, steps up front, get a little bit of advice, uh, you can really avoid um, some of these things that can trip you up in the first few years of being self-employed. Okay, so where's a good place to start with this? The different kinds of businesses that people can yeah. set up? Because I know that when I did this a long time ago with someone, uh, it was this was brand new information. I had never even heard some of these terms as we sort of move forward on it. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting too because I don't find many uh, situations where someone you know sets it out pretty straightforwardly. Here's the way you can structure your business. Here's some pros and cons. But that's exactly what we're going to do today, and we're going to start right there. So uh, let's talk about how you can structure a self-employed business in the province of BC. So there's three common ways that you can do it. Each one has some advantages and disadvantages, and definitely uh, there's some escalations in complexity as you move from one one structure to another. Uh, it's important to really get the right help at the start. So when a accountant uh, and or a lawyer can be invaluable and you don't necessarily need to spend thousands of dollars uh, but in the space of a few meetings with the lawyer discussing your objectives um, some meetings with an accountant so that you know you understand how your business flows and what your reporting requirements might be um, that can be you know a stitch in time saves nine uh, that can really pay off uh, in spades in the future just by knowing all of your responsibilities by getting some help in terms of how you can actually structure your your business uh, the easiest way and the most common way is to operate as a sole proprietor proprietorship. Um, so in general, if you haven't set up you know, either a corporation or a partnership, which is what we're going to talk about next, by default, you'd be a sole proprietorship. And it's the most straightforward way to start a business or to become a contractor. And what it means is especially you as the owner of the business and the business itself, you're the same entity. You're not legally separated. The assets and debts of the business are also your personal assets and debts. And the income that the business makes after its business expenses, that's reported on your personal tax return each year. So if you're setting up as a sole proprietorship, um, you're not setting up a separate entity. Um, you're just deciding I'm going to do work in my own name, um, or you can you can call it something else. But at the end of the day, it's still the same legal entity as you yourself. There's no separation. Right. Okay. That's easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And definitely that's the most common way. And I find the simplest and for most people that I deal with, you know, that's the right structure. And we'll talk about that in a couple minutes here. Um, you know, a second way to get it set up, and this is very uncommon, I don't see much of it. And it sounds pretty simple, but there's some added complexity which can make this very unattractive for a lot of people, uh, is to consider setting up as a partnership. So if two or more people or two or more proprietorships even are combining resources in a business, they could, and they're not required to, but they could establish formal terms and become a partnership, which is relatively easy to get underway. You just need a partnership agreement. But what's important here is that each partner is now personally responsible for the debts of the business, and they share in the liabilities of the actions of the other partners. So what that means is if you go into partnership with somebody and that person signs a deal on behalf of the partnership and that deal is a bad thing for the business and the business can't afford to pay, both partners could be fully liable, and it's what co- what's called joint and several liability, which might mean you know you've only invested ten thousand dollars into the partnership, but you've got a lot more assets than that. All of your assets could be at risk because it's an unlimited liability. If the partnership, uh, even if it's you're not involved, that your other partner does something that just doesn't make sense and incurs some liability, as part of that partnership, all of your assets could be called into question. 
So it's something you want to be very careful about. Uh, in most cases, people uh, haven't thought about that idea of the liability of all of the partners being joint and several when they consider a partnership. They just say, well, it sounds like it's pretty easy. We're going to be partners. Uh, but you definitely want to consider the downside of the liability. Yeah, it, there is a downside for sure. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that for sure. What's the, so yeah, what's I don't I don't see many I don't see many partnerships, and you know even a lot of the big accounting and law firms they're not set up as basic partnerships. They're set up as you know a limited liability partnership where there's a whole lot more structure behind it to try to you know again protect the assets of each individual partner. But for the average person who's listening to our our show today, uh, setting up as a partnership, just be aware the actions of your partner could impact all of your personal assets and your liabilities as well. Okay. When I see the word corporation, and I know that's the third one we're going to talk about, that seems like it, it has to be a big thing. Well, it doesn't necessarily, and, that, and that's interesting. So a corporation, again, it's a word that can intimidate some people, but all it means is that there's a separate legal entity. A corporation uh, is essentially like a separate person. Um, it's someone that can hold assets, it can acquire debts and contracts, it can sue or be sued. So ostensibly, when someone sets up a corporation, what you're doing that is to create some separation between you as the business owner and the business's operations itself. So you'd want to say, you know, if I've got a bunch of assets that I want to keep safe, I'll set up a corporation corporation to run my business. Um, and then if something were to go wrong with the business, ideally, the corporation is going to shield me because the corporation will be liable. And, you know, I'm just the owner or the shareholder of the corporation. So sounds great so far, right? Yeah, really good. Right. But challenges abound. Uh, so the first one is, to your point, Elaine, it is more complicated, more costly to set up a corporation and then to maintain it on an annual basis. You definitely need to be incurring some accounting fees, some legal fees, uh, because it's not just your personal taxes anymore. It's the corporation has to do a corporate tax return. Um, there's various compliances for the province to keep the corporation in good standing. Um, so you should plan, you know, I would think at least in the low single digit thousands, you know, maybe around a thousand to fifteen hundred for a basic corporation um, just for accounting and legal fees every year for maintenance. So there are the cost and the complexity. Now, the second part, which is even if you're okay with that cost and complexity, is unfortunately the idea of a limited liability within a corporation can be frustrated in several key ways, which often does happen. So the first way is if you think about you've got this business, it's a new corporation, you want to go out and borrow money, who's going to loan money to a new corporation without the ownership guaranteeing those funds? So if a new corporation is going to go out and sign a lease, for example, it's almost every case that I see, they also get the owner of that corporation to sign personally so that if the corporation doesn't pay, the person is still on the hook. So that kind of frustrates that limitation of liability. Quite often, if the corporation is going to borrow money from the bank, they also need the owner or the shareholder or the, or the person who's running the corporation to give a personal guarantee on those funds. So even though the corporation ostensibly is a separate legal entity, quite often the obligations that you're required to guarantee mean that the individual behind the corporation is still on the hook for the most important amounts owing. Uh, the last point on this just has to do with government amounts. Um, government, uh, you know, they respect that a corporation is a separate legal entity, but if you start to run up money for GST owing, or if you have employees for their tax deductions, or even for their wages, you're not allowed to just leave that liability in the corporation, shut down the business, and move on. If you have a corporation that owes money to the government for uh, GST or for those payroll source deductions, that becomes a personal liability of the director of the corporation. 
information. So there can be a number of little minefields that sometimes when I sit down with someone and say, I want to incorporate because of this, 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 when I explain to them, well, you're probably going to have to guarantee everything anyway, and the biggest potential liabilities are the government, and they're not going to be stopped by the corporation. So do you really want to incur the costs every year of accounting and legal to do something that you know might not actually protect you at the end of the day? And sometimes people do think twice about setting up a corporation. Got it. Okay. So what's, the, so what's next? Because we just have about uh, oh, a couple of minutes left in this segment. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting, right? Because we've got so much that we need to cover. I know, uh, there's you know, a lot. Yeah, I think if we were to talk a little bit about some of the pitfalls uh, that people can run into. So we've talked a little bit um, about, you know, CRA debts, about collecting and remitting GST. And yeah. just a point on there is that the important number is $30,000. So okay. if you're starting to earn revenues of more than $30,000, that's typically when you need to start registering for GST. So what you'd want to do is there's very few professions that are exempt from GST. There are some, and I won't list them just in case it's changed, but you'd want to confirm with, with CRA based on your occupation, is it the $30,000 limit or are you just not subject to GST at all? But that's something you want to set up very, very early on within your corporation. Okay. Um, I think one of the bigger pitfalls that I see as well uh, is the idea of really avoiding some of the, the hard decisions or some of the hard analysis to do with your business. So, you know, you, you really love what you're doing every day, uh, but sometimes if when a third party looks at the books of the business, you say, oh my God, like you, you've really just been procrast- procrastinating. You've been putting off some of the hard decisions that you need to make. Um, so for example, um, you know, during this COVID uh, a pandemic that we're dealing with now, uh, it can be really difficult to look at your staff and say, you know what, I'm, I don't have work for you in the short term. But if you took a hard look at your business and what's happened to your revenue, that might be the right answer. You'd have to make that, that decision relatively quickly. What people often often default to doing is injecting personal funds continually into their business, You know, sometimes drawing down their home equity or drawing down their retirement funds. So it's usually a really big warning sign if you're having to basically pay money into the corporation on a regular basis or if you're borrowing more money, um, you know, to keep things operating, you might be, you know, avoiding some of the hard decisions that you need to make. So just make sure you're objective when you look towards your business and you are making some of those hard decisions on what, what can be paid and, you know, whether you're willing to invest more of your personal funds into a business that might not be able to eventually repay it back to you. Got it. See, the thing is, when you start talking about all these different aspects and things to be on the watch for, or I would think that you would be the right person to talk to before I venture into something. Am I right about that? Well, it, it depends. So as a trustee, I'm not a lawyer. So usually for structuring yourself, you'd want to have a lawyer give you some good insight, but absolutely to talk through the hypotheticals about, you know, if things don't go according to plan, what's my potential liability? That's absolutely what a trustee can help you with. So, you know, it would be one tool in your toolbox, but I would still think you'd want the accountant and the lawyer to help give you some good advice on how to structure and then just sub, uh, supplement that with some trustee advice as well. Yeah, no, that makes good sense. Yeah, and cover as many bases as you can because you bring something different to the table than a lawyer would or an accountant would. And I I guess that's what I was thinking about. Uh, So in closing, I just want to remind you that there's lots of ways to get some good information from sans-trustee.com. If you've got questions or thoughts, also give them a call and make that appointment, 1-800-661-3030 for the free consultation. And a reminder again, you're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So this segment is all about the overwhelmingness of being in debt, uh, but also scared, right? I mean, I think that's what happens to folks in, in anything, getting overwhelmed, and then it's like, oh, what do I do now? Um, the 
thing about this segment is we're going to talk about bankruptcy with the premise that it's not it's probably not as bad as people think. Um, Blair and all of his staff at Sands and Associates talk with people a lot who have long delayed getting some professional debt help because they were worried about the negative in, uh, outcomes from bankruptcy, uh, unsure whether they qualified for help or didn't know where to turn. So let's debunk some of those common myths, Blair. What advice would you offer people who think they may have a debt problem. Where do you, how do you start with them? Well, the first thing I would say, Elaine, is don't fight that feeling. You know, if you think you have a debt problem, from my experience, you probably do, and you probably had one for a period of time, and you've just been kind of telling yourself, you know, it's going to get better, things are going to be different. But if you're starting to feel constant, overwhelming stress about your money or your finances, that's the number one warning sign. If you feel worried about it, odds are there's something that's causing those worries. You know, there's some pretty classic other warning signs, things like only making minimum payments that are required to service your debt. Now, this might keep you with a very solid credit rating because you're never delinquent, but you might just never get out of debt. Take a look at those credit card statements and see how many years it's going to take you, even carrying a small balance. It's just huge. Uh, you know, quite often, things that point to a debt problem are just if you see that your debt balances are going up. You know, this year you owe more than last year, and it's more than the year before, and you find you're relying on credit or using payday loans to bridge the gap. Uh, and then some of the less typical ones, but things where, you know, I think you've, you realize you're in a situation, if you're starting to borrow from friends or family members to make your debt pay, payments, you're starting to involve people that mean the most to you because you're facing this difficulty. And then finally, I think anyone that's being sued for a debt or having their wages or their assets seized, um, that's a big warning sign that you've got an issue. It's something that's, you know, what I love about debt problems is every single one of them has a solution. Um, so it's not the case there's something, you know, new under the sun, this is something that we can't deal with, but it does require you to reach out and figure out what's available to help you. Yeah, and that's regardless of how hopeless you may be feeling about it, because that would be a, a very natural place for people to go to, I would think. Well, that, that's right. And one of the biggest things we start to teach people when they first come in and talk about bankruptcy is you might think, oh, my gosh, my situation is so severe, I owe $10,000. And someone might think their situation is so much more severe because they owe a million dollars. Bankruptcy doesn't matter at all the amount of debt that you have. So thinking that your situation is hopeless because you owe so much more money, that really doesn't figure into anything. The legal remedy is there uh, to help you get out of debt. And what you really need to know is who can help you, who can help you access this legal remedy. And a licensed insolvency trustee is the only professional legally empowered and endorsed by the government of Canada to help Canadians uh, restructure their debts using the laws that were written just for this purpose. You don't need a referral. You don't need to pay any upfront fees. You don't need to hire a lawyer. You just come directly to a trustee at no charge. They're going to explain to you all of your options, listen to your situation, help you find a solution to that debt problem. And you need to understand that a trustee is quite different than what you might see from a credit counselor or from an unlicensed debt consultant. Uh, these are folks that don't have access to the same tools, don't have the same qualifications, uh, and might result in giving you advice. It's just not going to be the best for your specific situation. Okay. Um, I, I want to throw in here, too, you know, we talked about a licensed insolvency trustee. That's the path that, that folks should take for all that protection and all that good knowledge. Uh, and there's lots of ways that you can do that. And I'm just going to give you, first of all, the phone number, 1-800-661-3030. That's to call Sands & Associates. They have offices all over the province. Uh, and check out their website as well, sands-trustee.com. It's filled with great questions and answers 
answers uh, for you to help you make a better decision or a faster decision, possibly as well. I like I like the idea. Um, uh, about being proactive and how important it is to be proactive when it comes to debt and, and might be one of the hardest things to do, but it's one of the best things. Well, that's exactly right, Elaine. And the more proactive you are, the less you're going to suffer and for the least amount of time. It's about a two-year period from when people decide or determine they have a debt problem until they're finally in our door, you know, feeling comfortable moving forward. And to a person, they all say, I wish I hadn't waited that long. I wish I had reached out earlier, realized I'm going to have a positive, empathetic conversation with a professional that wants to help me. But there's a lot of fear that people have or just some misconceptions. You know, you don't have to be delinquent in all of your accounts to restructure your debts. In fact, upwards of 70% of people that file a bankruptcy actually have excellent credit. They don't miss any payments. They're not subject to collection activities. They just look at their situation, realize I'm making minimums. I'm never going to get out of this debt. I need to do something different. So let's talk about the actual process, Blair. How? Um, what is personal bankruptcy if someone were to think about filing for it? Yeah, so quite simply, personal bankruptcy is a federally legislated legal process it allows you to be absolved from all of your debts in the event that you're unable to repay your financial obligations. So in the law, it's structured for the honest but unfortunate person who's had circumstances change and left them in a very tough financial position. The eligibility to file for bankruptcy is pretty straightforward. You have to owe at least $1,000 and not be able to pay that debt as it becomes due. Now, nobody files bankruptcy for $1,000, but people do for 10000 definitely 20 30 The average is about forty dollars to $60,000 of debt but the minimum is just $1,000. And only a licensed insolvency trustee is able to help you evaluate all of your options, help you figure out how that bankruptcy process is going to work. Now, typical in Canada, each province does things differently. How does one do that here in British Columbia? Well, in the province of BC, uh, you just reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee and by Dealing with a local professional, you know that they're up on all the local regulations, all the various exemptions you're allowed to keep if you were to go through a bankruptcy. Those do vary. But when you're filing bankruptcy in B.C., for the most part, it's a voluntary process. So very few people have to qualify or get rejected. Actually, nobody gets rejected from a bankruptcy, but very few people get forced into a bankruptcy by their creditors. In general, they sit down, they work out with a trustee, um, and then once they filed the bankruptcy, all of the collection activities against them have to stop. So they get relief from their creditors. Nobody can pursue them. They just deal directly with the trustee from there. Can I ask you about how private this process is? Because, uh, uh, yeah, how private is it, Blair? Much more private than people would generally think. So it's less than 1% of bankruptcies ever have any public notice in the newspaper. Um, there's over 100,000 bankruptcy proceedings typically in a year in Canada, uh, and very few of them ever appear in newspapers. So generally, the only people that are notified of a bankruptcy filing are obviously the individual who's doing the filing, the people who are not going to get paid and have to stop collecting. They have to know that they've got it back off at that point. And then my regulator, the superintendent of bankruptcy, is aware. That's generally it. There's no need to call people's employers. There's no need to make neighbors or family members, you know, even spouses, I definitely encourage people to be very open with their spouse, especially if they're going through such a significant financial challenge, but it's not a requirement. One spouse could file a bankruptcy and the other spouse might not even have to be aware of that proceeding. So, and that leads me to, okay, what's the cost involved? Do I have to be concerned about that or, or not talking about that with my partner? Well, in terms of the cost, it's almost always a whole lot less than what you're ever being asked to pay on your debts, and it's for a much shorter period of time. So all trustee fees are set by the federal government and regulated by Industry Canada. 
for a basic bankruptcy, about 80% of proceedings, the cost is normally $1,800 in total. And the way Sands and Associates works is we don't ask anybody to have that up front. That would just be absurd. Someone who's going through financial difficulties come up with $1,800, but you pay it over time. So when you file for bankruptcy, it's usually a nine-month process. And during that period, you're not going to be paying any of your debts. You're asked to pay $200 for those nine months to the trustee. And that includes everything in the bankruptcy proceeding, all the administration, the counseling sessions, getting you to the point where you can be discharged nine months later, leaving all that debt behind. You've answered so many good questions in this segment about bankruptcy. Are there a couple of myths, common myths that that sort of get in the way from somebody from considering bankruptcy as a solution that we could address in the last couple of seconds here? Oh, absolutely. There's a couple of really classic ones I think we should we should try to knock off. So number one is that you lose everything if you go into personal bankruptcy. And that's completely untrue. Most people keep all of their assets when they file a bankruptcy because there are provincial exemptions that say you're allowed to keep a vehicle, you're allowed to keep clothing, tools of the trade, all of those things, even a home there's an exemption for. So you don't lose everything. Uh, a second one is the bankruptcy is a permanent mark on your credit. It's not. Most people recover to have a better credit rating, credit rating within two to three years after finishing the bankruptcy. And finally, people think that you can't do anything with tax debt. We can deal with tax debt. We do it every day of the week. So bankruptcy can solve just about every problem, including a tax problem. And that's probably one of the number one reasons why a licensed insolvency trustee in this country is the path to go for bankruptcy, the only path to go for bankruptcy, uh, because they handle all those kinds of things. And listen, if you've got more questions, and we totally get that you might, uh, check out the website if that helps. It's sans-trustee.com. They've got lots and lots and lots of questions and answers, uh, and might help you make, uh, you know, make that call and that call number, that phone number, one eight. 800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So this segment is all about reasons to make paying off debt a priority. And I love this segment, Blair, because we've got some good reasons uh, why it is such a good idea to make debt-free a really good goal. Um, being debt-free probably not easy for everybody to grasp that idea who are right in the middle of it. Um, and I know there's some things that people think about, like, oh, if I only make minimum monthly payments. Now, the good news about this segment is Blair is going to um, share lots of food for thought on why it's almost always in your best interest to make getting out of debt a top priority. So let's get started, Blair. Do you do you find that most people have an ideal strategy uh, at their fingertips when they're thinking about paying off their debt or trying to pay off their debt? Yeah, thanks, Elena. That's a good question. And it's tough to give a strong answer to that or just a, a certain answer because there's so many variables into what's an ideal strategy. It really does vary from person to person, circumstance to circumstance. Um, but I meet with people every day and what they're looking for are some professional insights and advice on how they can do better. They can better manage their debts, get to a debt-free uh, state maybe sooner than they had thought. And there's a lot of challenges that can really impact someone's best laid plans. And in my experience, a lot of the time, a 
debt problem is something that really sneaks up on you. You might think that everything is just fine, you're making all your minimum payments, but then an unexpected event or a situation makes debt either near impossible to consider servicing or it shifts things, leaving people trapped in a debt cycle where they've had to use credit you know, just to get by during a tough time. What we found as we, st- as we studied our client base each year is four out of the five top main causes of people being in debt and needing our services, they're considered outside of an individual's control. So things like illness, injury, or health-related problems, that was about 14% of people, um, overextension of credit due to costs of living outpacing income. So we're all seeing a bunch of inflation these days, and it's only going to continue. And then marital or relationship breakdown, as well as job-related or job loss. So each of those situations, you know, losing your job, getting sick, having a relationship breakdown, you know, a lot of the times those are things that are outside of your general control, and they can have, you know, a very significant uh, financial impact upon you. And what we usually find is a lot of people tend to really turn inwards. They, they look to themselves, they start to, you know, work a ton of extra hours, they try to cut every expense that they can, and oftentimes those are good strategies, but they're often just not sufficient to deal with a very significant debt, uh, debt situation. So what are the, what are the strategies that you, pe- that you see people uh, trying to use? I mean, we know the ultimate um, idea is to, you know, go see a licensed insolvency trustee, look at a consumer proposal, look at bankruptcy, really look at what you're doing and how you're doing it. But what are some of the things that people try to do? Yeah, well, we, we talked about, you know, sometimes they try to cut expenses and just work more. And, you know, that can be a good strategy to an extent, as long as you can you know, handle it and not burn yourself out. But some of the less productive things people tend to do is they often try to borrow from friends or family with the idea of, let me just get this bank off my back. I'll pay back mom, dad, brother, sister, something like that, and it'll be easier. Um, sometimes they apply to increase their credit limits or they start to just incur new credit like payday loans with the idea, I'm just going to borrow more this month, make all the minimums and hopefully get it under control. Uh, sometimes people start to use their assets to pay down debt. You know, in some cases, you know, yeah, if you've got some, uh, you know, call it Bitcoin, for example, and a couple of weeks ago, you, you, it was worth a lot and you could sell it to pay off your debt. That's great. That's an asset that should be sold to pay debt. But sometimes it's things like your retirement funds, um, you know, your RRSPs, money you put away to save yourself in retirement. Sometimes people are cashing in those assets to pay debt. And that's just a very bad decision in almost every case. Uh, I want to throw in here too, Blair, that if somebody's all, just heard this, the beginning of this segment and went, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm already doing two of those things or three of those things. Um, here's a call to action for you. Give Sands and Associates a call. Uh, it's very easy to do. And there's somebody there that's going to give you a hand in trying to figure out the best next step. And that phone number, 1-800-661-3030. Uh, and to book an appointment. Um, one of the or one of the things about the the strategies that you just mentioned too is that it's not always super obvious that they're going to work or not work for folks. Well, that, that's right. You know, in some cases, you think you're, you're doing the right things and you just don't realize, you know, how costly this new debt that you're taking on is going to be. Um, sometimes, you know, you're consolidating debt to a single credit card. and You don't realize the transaction costs of that are actually quite significant. You've just increased your debt. Um, and things like, you know, if you were to get a cosign or a borrow from friends, friends and family, the unintended consequences is now you've added an emotional layer to what was just the financial transaction before. And it's a whole lot more difficult to let down somewhere you feel that emotional emotional connection if you can't pay them, as opposed to a bank where it's just been a strictly commercial relationship. 
and you, and you are in fact one of those debt as experts in terms of helping people figure stuff out. What are some of the reasons that you find that, or that people come up with, um, and that you why you encourage them to focus on being debt free? Like why that's a number one priority for folks, or at least it should be. Yeah, great, great question, Elena. And it's really something that listeners should, should kind of focus on. I think it really makes sense here is, you know, number one, why you want to be debt free is debt is expensive. You know, anytime you borrow, you're going to be paying back more than the amount that you borrowed. And some types of debt can just be outright unaffordable, it can trap you in a cycle of just paying the interest cost each month and never actually paying down the balance. Um, you know, some of the top worst offender types of debts are credit cards, and it can be even worse if it's a cash advance, because oftentimes um, you're charged interest right from the day you borrow it, or as I mentioned, if you consolidate with a balance transfer, sometimes there's even a transaction fee of a few percent, which can be significant. Uh, payday loans, I've often said, are kind of the worst of the worst. A two-week payday loan can be an interest rate of about 400% on an annual basis. Again, they've got this special exemption from the criminal code. They can charge more than anybody else, um, so payday loans can just be incredibly expensive. And things like CRA or tax debt, while they're interest rate is not typically as high as a credit card or definitely not a payday loan. The penalties uh, for non-compliance, for non-filing can be quite significant as well. So one main reason, debt costs you a lot of money. You need to get out of it. Yeah, and I know you've got a, a good list of other reasons uh, why you encourage people to focus on that debt-free idea. Yeah, you know, another one is you want to maximize your income. When you're borrowing money now, you're taking away money from your future self. And you spend a minute thinking about that. The money you're getting now is money that you won't have in the future to spend on what you want. It's money you're going to have to pay back to your creditor. So that can really compromise, you know, your future goal of saving for a home or a retirement. So a lot of times when people come into us, they want to get their debt under control because they do have goals for the future. And they know they're just not going to be able to reach them if their income is continually being reduced because of all these interest payments just seem to go up. We've got so, such good information uh, in this segment, and I want to just sort of skip a little bit ahead because I think this is a really important question to ask people or for people to ask themselves. Are there situations where you would not advise somebody paying off, uh, paying off a debt, making that a priority for someone? Yeah, I'm so happy you took us there, Elaine, because there are a couple situations where, yeah, debt shouldn't be your number one concern. Uh, one that makes a whole lot of sense is if your debt interest rate is pretty low and you have no emergency savings. The number one thing that sends the ten the tend to send people running through our door is something's happened with their finances and they've just got no safety net. So you do want to have some savings set aside. Usually, um, you know, at looking at your expenses, about an amount that would cover three to six months is ideal. But even having a thousand dollars in savings can make a big difference if there's a cash crunch, like a car repair, a dental emergency, an unexpected day off work. So you got to start small if you're going to get there. So that's one. Uh, and then a second is if your debt is essentially just your mortgage and you need to focus more on retirement funds. I would ex suggest you at that point just continue to pay the mortgage, but start to put more money away for savings rather than paying down that debt. Aggressively. Cool. And is there is there other reasons? We just got about thirty seconds left. Is there one more that you want to make sure that you throw in there? Well, I think what people need to understand too is just when you consolidate debt, there are ways to do it without borrowing. So when I'm talking about you should get out of debt, consider that it doesn't mean that you've got to pay everything off in full. It doesn't mean you have to go to a bank to consolidate. Someone like a licensed insolvency trustee can help you with a proposal that will get you out of debt at a rate that you can afford. 
And this is where I come in, and this is how easy it is to get a hold of somebody at Sands & Associates. First of all, they have offices all over British Columbia. They do online meetings, and as we move through this pandemic, they're going to sit, uh, you'll be able to go and see somebody. Uh, Sands-Trustee.com is the website. The phone number, 1-800-661-3030, uh, to set up that consultation and to find an office near you. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.